0: Hello, and welcome to the sixth episode of Squared Talk. My name is Philip. I'm your host, as well as a brand and content manager at SquareShot. Today, I spoke with Brian Guidry, who's a chief gross officer at Pixels, a platform that empowers photo studio professionals with reliable retouching at scale. Retouching is the unsung hero of content production. That's why we really dug in into all things related. Brian and I talked about what it takes to scale a business, flow retouching, the benefits of having agile processes, talent upscaling, and so much more. This episode will be insightful for studio owners, photographers, and e-commerce brands looking to outsource the post-production processes. Without further ado, let's get to the episode. Brian, welcome to Square Talk. I'm really happy to have you and thanks for making the time in your busy schedule. I know that December and November usually is a very action-packed uh, you know, time of the year. So thanks for coming on. How are you doing? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. And uh, we had a a short conversation a few weeks ago, but it made me really excited, you know, about the topics that we're gonna explore today. And I feel like they're paramount to business, regardless of whether you're producing content or utilizing the content to sort of, you know, sell your goods. And so, but before we go into that, could you please introduce yourself a little bit? And for those who are unfamiliar, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about Pixels itself, the company. Sure,
1: yeah. So uh, Brian Guidry, um, been working in the retail industry for about 20 years now. Um, started working at a bunch of US based retailers, both big and small, um, and then jumped over to Europe and was working for the fast fashion brand Mango for almost eight years and was running global sourcing for them. Uh Um, And then the second part of my career, I I jumped over to the dark side on the fashion tech side of things,
0: uh, where I've been a partner and worn a number of hats at Pixels.com where I am today. And so what what role does Pixels play in the e-commerce slash content producing uh, industry? We are in the e-commerce enablement
1: bucket. So we are a service behind the scenes, but um, really play a core role to a lot of high growth e-com and established re- re- um, e-commerce brands and helping them really create content, uh, product content at scale, uh, really to try to get professional quality product images online to help them sell more. Um, that's really the, the bread and butter of pixels.com these days.
0: And scale is something that we're going to talk a lot about. Yeah. But before we go into that, could you please sort of Describe how does, a oh, you're a chief roast officer right now. I, w- I want to also put it out there at Pixels. How does your day look like?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said before, you know, I've worn a lot of different hats at the company, but predominantly I'm focused on the commercial side of our business right now, um, really working with our sales team, um, with business development partnerships, um, really just looking for ways that we can help our, our customers thrive. I think um, you, as you guys know as well in operating studios, mm-hmm. um, ton of uncertainty, ton of bottlenecks, um, you know the, the scaling piece and really everyone's looking to try to get product online faster. So yeah, really you know having a lot of conversations with, uh, with customers these days and trying to problem solve and really help set up you know,
0: scalable content production solutions for them. Mm-hmm. But do you remember when you joined the company? at uh, what state was it back then? Well, it was a, it was a very different
1: company. You know, I, we, I joined, I, am actually, I'm not one of the original founders, but I, I joined, um, quite early on, I think within the first year of our existence. And so, you know, at that point we were, um, back in 2000, early 2012, we really focused on marketplace imagery. So, you know, creating product images for Amazon and eBay and Rakuten and, um, we had an api and so we were integrating our image editing and retouching service into a lot of the e ecom platforms big commerce and shopify things like that um you know fast forward almost we just had our 10 year anniversary uh last january mm-hmm. and really we're a one stop shop for everything really on a, a pdp page when it comes to product content um really again working with a lot of e-commerce leaders these days and um helping them again you know to to edit and retouch
0: product content at scale and what what were some of the major changes that occurred between you starting at the company right and now well 10 year anniversary yeah um many many changes to be honest you know a lot lot i think
1: we've we've lived the startup roller coaster um it's been a little bit like a movie but um yeah i think there's been several pivotal moments right i think we really like i said before in the the early days the first couple years you know we were really just trying to understand the business. Um, the the founders actually came at Pix, like we, we created the business be, um, by scratching our own itch, right, so we come from e-commerce agency background uh-huh. and um, the founders actually found that if they would mock up an e-commerce website you know, with the with the shop design and put in beautiful imagery, they could go sell a website. They had like a ninety percent conversion rate. Uh-huh. Right, it was like that was their their secret sauce into how to like actually grow this agency. Um, and but what would happen, right, is like they were super successful selling these sites. But then when people would plug the site into a PIM um, or actually start putting new content in. You know, they would, they would get like some pushback, like, Hey, this does not look like the mockups we saw. Uh-huh. Right? And, and most of the reason was just they did not have quality imagery. You know, they, the, the, the imagery that, that they were using for markups, it was optimized. It looked great. It was really like they spent a lot of time on it. Um, but when the brands came in and took that role over, took over content production, it was it was a whole other game. So yeah, that's kind of the first step into the content production world. Um, and, you know, uh, the original founders, they really they, they tried everything out there from staffing in-house teams to freelancers to outsourcing. And there was really no scalable solution out there in the mm-hmm.
0: market. So hence, hey, we gotta <clears throat> we gotta do something about this, right? This is actually um, how we uh, we we kicked off the entire square talk podcast with this topic specifically when we sat down with Alex, right? We talked about uh, the HS the problems and sort of when they're something that you experience personally, you're more likely to succeed and actually provide a really good solution because you feel the pain, right? Yeah. So it's really cool that that came out of, you know, essentially having a really strong edge.
1: Yeah, and even even for me, you know, I, I was coming from the fashion industry and I was looking for a way to evolve. And I kind of had my my entrepreneur hat on and was trying, I was, I was actually trying to create my own secondhand peer-to-peer marketplace back in 2011. So like a, a thread up or a Tradesy And my big idea, right, was using an iPhone or using a smartphone to be able to automatically remove the background from a product Mm -hmm. image and actually populate like a more polished marketplace than, a, than an eBay, for example, right? There really weren't many options there. And so, yeah, that, that for me as well, like the moment I saw this image editing service with an API, you know, it's like, hey, uh-huh. this there's gonna be a big future here, right?
0: Especially when, um, yeah, when you when you get into the scaling piece of it, so. I mean, the company has a European origin, right? But do you sort of act as a bridge between the Europe and the US right now for the company? The original founders are Danish. That's We actually still have our global
1: headquarters is in Copenhagen in uh-huh. Denmark. Um, But yeah, we're we have a very global footprint these days. So, yes, I mean, I have a global team. Um, We have an office in San Diego, which which is where we have our North American footprint. But we also have a huge presence in Asia as well. We Mm -hmm. have we run a couple of different offices. Um, uh, Primarily in Vietnam, and then we have satellite offices as well for our customer success Mm -hmm. teams. So yeah, very very global business in nature these days.
0: And the reason I'm asking is because something you mentioned earlier, and actually we've touched base with this specific topic uh, when we just had our introduction meeting, right, the online one. And so what is the key difference right now that you see between the content production uh, and the US, right, and uh, in EU? And something that we talked about is the role of sort of Amazon and Etsy and eBay, what role they played in, you know, creating that that marketplace sort of uh, like vibe, I guess, or like the amount of um, very catered, very bespoke kind of content that EU creates right now because they, didn't, they never had that.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess maybe you could say it was almost like a marketplace first mentality. There are actually thousands of... Um, you know, e-commerce businesses, it's like, hey, Amazon's their main channel, or, you know, yep. they, they latch on to an Etsy, for example, right? Uh-huh. And, um, of course, in terms of content production, Amazon, Etsy, right, they, uh, most marketplaces have um, specialized content requirements. And so, yeah, that either complicates it, or it simplifies it significantly in uh-huh. terms of Amazon, hey, white background, you know, whatever the resolution requirements are for the specific category, things like that. So, um, but it's hard to generalize because, you know, we see brands of all shapes and sizes, again, like uh, our, our company is a global footprint, but we're actually servicing brands around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we see, we see a lot of differences between how brands are thinking about content production, how agile they are, what kind of mentality that they have, you know, is it the established retailer, we've always been done like this, you know, we, five layers of art direction and, and different, you know, uh, rounds of imagery, or if it's like, you know, hey, agile entrepreneur, we're going to go for you know, t- whatever, one hour shot to site and,
0: and go for extreme agility. So we really do see it Also, a little bit hard to, to generalize in that sense. Mm-hmm. And speaking of actually companies that are agile, processes that are agile, I know that there's been like a large shift in comp- content production in terms of moving from uh, batches to flow and then your company is among the the largest ambassadors of this process. Can you sort of elaborate on how does this work and what are some of the benefits of going into flow? Yeah. Um, well, all of this—I mean—it really goes
1: back to um, again our, our Danish founders and um, really kind of like the core of the of uh, I guess our methodology at Pixels of how we think about production. Um, you know, I th- we started as like a traditional outsourcing company. And as, after we scaled to a certain point, we just realized there's just extreme amount of inefficiencies, and so from a pretty early, you know, probably five six years ago, we we adopted a lean um, production pr- approach, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and so, you know, a lot of that um, of reducing, you know, basically work in progress, trying to to really like optimize every a part of the production along the way. That's been like a really integral part of everything that we're doing at at Pixels. It also enables us to, you know, deliver extremely fast and and also be very competitive when it comes to price. Um, But yeah, what what we've seen after talking to, you know, hundreds if not thousands of studio directors and photographers these days, right, is um, what we typically see, you know, a studio is shooting throughout the day, Um, maybe at the end of the day, after a shoot, they're going to start, you know, making some selects and then they have a batch of images ready to go and to be sent off to post-production or sent over to the internal team to do that. Uh Um, we started working with a lot of, of the, yeah, some of the largest fashion retailers, both in North America and also in Europe, um, that really wanted to, to change the mindset and like, you know, why do we need to, you know, just started questioning the entire process of, of running in batch like uh, especially when time to market is a huge competitive advantage Um, you know it's just we uh, ourselves but also i'm not going to say this is our idea Um, you know we've been working hand in hand with some of the largest retailers that have really been been pushing the limits on this so you know hey what happened like why do we need to wait 24 hours to send us a post production when like i can make the selects um on site it like on the set Right, and actually, then push those over to post. Just things like that, you know, questioning established processes that's mm-hmm. always been done like that. So, um, the founders of Pixels they actually also founded another photo studio management software solution called creativeforce.io mm-hmm. and that was actually, um, again, yeah, just really part of being really deep in the in the industry and talking to a lot of professionals over the years. And so, one of the things that we saw, like, and one of the things they've created was actually um, while you're shooting, like let's make a very simple way to make those selects on set and then instantly get those into the hands of post-production to enable this very quick turn kind of flow mm-hmm. production. Um, so yeah, you know that's been in the works for many years now and we're actually seeing some of the, the benefits of it as that's being rolled out. And now we're seeing a lot of clients globally um, that are choosing creative force for their photo studio mm-hmm management software and then using pixels for post um, and there's some pretty awesome case studies out there I think the the bestseller group um, Which I think they have I don't know 10 plus brands now these days I think they saw something like an 80% improvement in time to market within mm-hmm. a month of transitioning over to using flow
0: so pretty pretty drastic uh, Improvements can be had by kind of making mm-hmm. that sh- that shift And I know that Zalando is one of your, you know, bigger clients, huge company, huge giant, 8 billion revenue. And so I have a question regarding the approach. So Zalando specifically, their product isn't images, it's their goods. The images is sort of the way to sell the goods. Is there a difference in approach when you're working with like, for example, studios where their product is actually good photos, right? That they're they're then later on provide to their clients.
1: No, I'm, I mean, I, in terms of the actual end result, right, if we're the end result that we are going to help provide is going to be a retouched image, right? That is going to be the same for a brand or a studio. I think the service component around that does change. The relationships obviously change, Um, you know, helping studios quote things out quickly, um, mm-hmm. basically providing them with Uh, the ability to meet deadlines, rain or shine, right? I mean, that's sacred, right? We, we become an integrated part of a studio's offering, whether Pixels is front and center or behind the scenes, Mm -hmm. because, um, we do have studios that white, white label us. We have others that say, Hey, we proudly use Pixels. Um, but yeah, I think just in terms of our internal relationship, how we think about customer success with studios and brands, there's definitely differences there. I think obviously, like for the big, high val, high volume global studios that are working with tens, if not hundreds, of brands, right, trying to onboard different style guides and specifications, it's it's a it's much more intensive workflow um, and requires a lot more direct communication. So I think that would be that would be the major difference with it with a brand. It's hey, we're going to get them set up, and hey, this season we have a consistent look and feel across most of the categories, and we're probably not going to be making that many changes. With with studios, I think it's almost a daily communication. Could be mm-hmm. could be less depending on how many clients they're trying to onboard or or work with, right? Um, but we're working behind the scenes in order to help them basically set up what we call specifications in our system to, mm-hmm. to edit and retouch kind of the images for their customers at scale.
0: And so I actually want to follow up on that. You mentioned consistency, right? What instruments do you have in place to actually maintain consistency when, you know, the process are scaling, the amount of brands are scaling? Yeah. Yeah, good question. I mean, um, again, maybe going back
1: a little bit to origin stories, right? I mean, we're we're very technical, uh, at the core of pixels, we come from a developer or you know kind of a tech background mm-hmm. first. Um, so I think most of the 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 retouchers, if you see kind of the systems, the production systems that we have and, and the way that we're actually thinking about posts is radically different than than really everything else out there in the market. So what we have done, um, you know again, like when by shifting to this lean or agile approach, Um, When we actually receive a style guide from a customer, what we're doing behind the scenes is that we will take that style guide and we're gonna break it down into its component steps. Okay, so if we talk about like on model photography, maybe there's gonna be, I don't know, 10 to 15 different retouching steps that need to be performed in order to actually deliver a finished image. Um, And so then what we do is we can have anywhere from, let's say five to 10 different expert retouchers working on that image. And then we're also depending on you know these these different steps that I mentioned. Um, we're also leveraging automation and technology to you know to yeah to basically automate these steps along mm-hmm. the way. Um, and so how we think about QA and consistency is like one, um, if you don't have a system, you know, and you don't have yeah. process, I mean that that is by far step number one. I think we work in an industry where everyone is promised. Um, speed and consistency and scale, and we—I mean—we probably get just as many spammed emails fr- um, <laughs> as you guys do from outsourced providers. And I think um, what we tell our customers as well, I and mean, this is also going back to consistency, right? Um, when we run a pilot, and you know, I don't have my A team standing by that's going to do this amazing uh-huh. job on 10 images, like the test is is at 10,000 images. Consistent, like, and do that in no. the right way. And so we, we rely on technology very heavily in order to do that. Um, and so, like, with our system that I was mentioning, when we do break down the retouching process into steps, we don't have one final QA process. Okay. We actually are going to QA, um, an image after every single retouching step or optimization step along the way. It could be an automated step. It could be a, a manual QA step. Okay. And that has enabled us, it sounds like, oh my gosh, that's a lot of work or how could you guys deliver so fast by like, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe a traditional outsourcing company would have one QA step. We could have 30, right? Um, So it sounds like we're, you know, making a bloated system, but we, it actually Mm -hmm. enables us to flag issues very early on, Mm -hmm. again, following a lean methodology. So we're not waiting to the end to flag something. It's like, hey, if something if the mask isn't like, let's say we started masking, if the mask not perfect, it doesn't move on. If the shadow is not perfect, it's not moving on. Right. So we try to address issues up front so that we, and then, and then solve them. So when we get into bulk production, we can very easily deliver a very consistent result at scale.
0: And speaking of automation, there's this McKinsey report that talks about change that retail has to undergo. To keep, to keep up essentially with e-commerce and, you know, the changing world. And I'll make sure to link to this uh, paper as well in the show notes. And so the research showed that 52% of retail activities can be actually automated. So I pass the question on to you, which parts of retouching processes have been automated across the last five years and which ones are yet to be? Yeah.
1: Um, we have seen a tremendous... Um amount of activity here. You know, I think we, we have our own internal R&D team. We have our own um, retouching AI that we're leveraging. And, you know, I think at the core, like really the, the masking piece is, you know, there's huge time savings to be have there, but um, we are, our teams are working on a lot of different things. Um, and again, because we break down our retouching process into small component steps, um, at any given time, we're working on automating a lot of these kind of micro steps along the way. So things like, um, you know, keeping a natural shadow, uh, resizing, cropping, you know, basic skin work. Um, really, there's a lot of stuff that we can do. I think subjectivity, uh, when when clients are requiring much more subjectivity, let's say more artwork required, it's it's where technology is still, let's say, struggling mm-hmm. to keep up. And, and we don't try to replace you know i think we very we're, we're actually very proud to be running a hybrid post production model where you know hey um, you know masking clipping i, I think you're going to you'll know, struggle to find a, a retoucher that loves doing that work <laughs> and if we can automate that you know I, we're making everyone happy and what we're doing is is we're training our own internal retouchers to become best in class at what they do right to be able to deliver editorial um, you know, beautiful work, right, to uh, to really so that we can deliver a, an amazing finished result to our customers. So it's, it's something, you know, we're always trying to find ways to do that. And then obviously training and helping our own internal retouchers evolve, so they can actually produce even more value added work for our customers.
0: So the current line is sort of drawn, uh, where where there's less subjectivity involved and how much of subjective versus very objective like catalog images for essentially like Amazon of clients and content do you have right now?
1: Yeah, so we've been extremely focused over the years and we've really uh, specialized in e-commerce PDP um, product imagery, right? That's where we have uh, developed the most tech Um, And that's really where we feel like we have a a, a phenomenal service in the market. That being said, you know, we are listening uh, to our customers. And we've seen I think one of the the main changes we've seen in the last couple of years, um, definitely a move towards more elevated um, PDP content, you know, even in yeah, with, with COVID, um, mm-hmm. and where studios were shut down, we, we saw a lot of our customers actually shifting just to, Hey, we're going to do all lifestyle or all kind of, yeah, lifestyle imagery on, on PDP. Let's try it. Um, and actually we're quite successful with that. So we've definitely been, you know, moving into, into helping them produce more elevated PDP. Excuse me. We're also seeing a lot more autonomy in the studios. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, photographers being empowered to try new things. Right, uh, moving away from just hey standard white. You know, background removal. Background mm-hmm. removal is a is a commodity. Um, mm-hmm. I- ironically, our company yep. used to be called RemoveTheBackground.com. Right. So I'm glad. I'm very happy we decided to scrap <laughs> that name. You know, five or six years ago. Um, And so it is, you know, I think that nuanced work is extremely important. And I think every time more as everyone is rushing to create a brand experience online, um, you know, I think creative directors, art directors, photographers, they're looking for ways to position themselves in a unique way. Right. I think just just getting something decent online is not enough. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we're trying to accompany our, our customers on that journey. And, and actually, just last month, as part of our, our flow event in Berlin, yeah. we did announce that um, we're rolling out a editorial, a much more art-directed uh, version of the Pixels product. Mm-hmm. Right, So it's really about how do you leverage the Pixels platform, a lot of the efficiencies, um, and cost savings of the e-com work we do mm-hmm. and how do we bring that into the editorial sphere. So and how, yeah, how it's drastic. Sorry. Uh,
0: how drastic would be the change, uh, the difference in turnaround time between the, you know, less elevated PDP versus the editorial and lifestyle kind of uh imagery?
1: Yeah, it's gonna be, you know, right now we're um we're working with several of our existing e customers actually to develop that out. Mm-hmm. That's what we're ex- super excited about. We've actually been been dragged into this process, but it's an amazing, um, that, that we get to work hand in hand with some of the largest retailers in the world in order to roll this out. And what I can tell you right now is it, and you're not gonna like this answer, but it's definitely uh, the approach varies. And that's just because the methodology of how editorial is handled between brands can vary drastically. We can have, imagine you can have five stakeholders or you can have 50. Right. So there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen, depending on where those images are going to be used. I think for e-com, it's much more streamlined workflow. But again, um, what we're seeing is I can give you one use case of uh, a very large New York based uh, brand where they typically would have like five different um, rounds of retouching in order to prep Mm -hmm. some of their editorial work. They're Mm -hmm. leveraging our system to go, you know, let's say round one, two, three. Pixels is doing a first pass and nailing that. Mm-hmm. Then we have some art-directed. Basically, we're we're getting feedback, markups, things like that, and doing a, a you know a second and third round before it's finally approved. And there could you know we are we're also again working in a very much a hybrid fashion where we are not pretending to do everything. I mean, uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. our customers have amazing in-house retouching teams, um, and they're also leveraging those professionals to, to take their images really to have that subjective, you know, that branded touch to take those last mile. So we, we see this as very much a partnership where. Um, We are going to be creating different types of workflows depending on the needs of each of our editorial customers. Some of that could be, you know, business as usual, like, you, uh, you know, could be, hey, just let's get into doing some advanced math masking and help out on that front. It could be, hey, we're going to get you to uh, 90% of the way there. And then your, your in-house team is going to do it. And we are also working with other customers to say, hey, we want you guys to go all the way. Right. And, and, and excuse me, and in that sense, um, we're doing some some things on the back end on our side especially on the service side where we're actually hiring brand ambassadors to mm-hmm. come in that will actually own like the aesthetic QA process on our side to make sure that we're delivering things that are 100% in line with with what our customers
0: are looking for i mean you earlier mentioned that I'm not going to like the answer but i really do and that's something that we have experienced personally as well. The varying approach when it comes to working with a lot of subjectivity. So, and I almost feel like because the flow allows for a shorter feedback loop, a loop, right? You're more likely to f- sort of uh, isolate those problems that might happen, or like the you know the issues that might happen with the subjectivity part, right? And actually, like choose the proper path for that. And so at Squareshot, we often think about the agility of process that you mentioned before, and we look at it through the lens of whether we can support exponential client growth or not and so in your mind what are some of the prerequisites of you know being able to scale overnight essentially if that ever occurs to you yeah um that
1: has been a question that we have been thinking about for years um, probably 10 years and we it's still something that we think about all the time Um, one of the things that we have been doing that has radically Improved our ability to scale is really investing in technology again. And sorry to that's the easy answer right going Mm -hmm. back to that Um, But just to give you some context if we go back three years or so We were automating close to 25 percent of our total post-production work Um, You fast forward today and we're at about 75 percent of of what we're doing globally is actually being automated in some shape or form that mm-hmm. could be our own ai could be with scripts it could be with actions it could be with a lot we're leveraging a lot of different ways um, to, to to make things go faster and so technology is definitely a huge piece there um, and you know i think there's there's multiple there's multiple ways to answer that i think also one of the things that um, we went through a process of evaluating our customer base and also really just aligning on expectations, right? Around what SLAs are, like daily capacities, um, how we're handling for customer forecasts, things Mm -hmm. like that. That's really allowed us to optimize our entire um, production system and workflow. So, you know, when we do have customers that have one-off peaks, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we have, you know, everything is standardized in how we handle that. Like, hey, you know, according to a daily SLA, we're gonna deliver. 500 images a day if it's beyond that you know 95 of the time we're actually going to deliver same day but if we need to deliver it the next day like hey we have an out to do that mm-hmm. right and it and it's actually agreed upon by our customers like it's it's a fair thing right um that being said you know as long as our customers give us a couple days notice um we have a tremendous capacity these days i think it's also the early days right when we only had the capacity to produce A couple thousand images a day very different than where we are today where you know we can get upwards of almost a hundred thousand images a day or something like that right um and so the ability to absorb some some customer peaks and troughs becomes significantly easier so
0: we've got a lot of a lot of different things working in our favor these days i mean and these occur uh, not necessarily because something happened in terms of less scale Take a look at the, um, when LA uh, ports, right, had issues and a lot of shipments from Asia have, have been delayed that also creates a huge surge of orders that are almost, uh, they're very hard to sort of support if your processes are, well, not tuned out for that.
1: Yeah, I, I, I totally, I mean, we, and we, we're still seeing that. And uh, it's, that's not like, uh, and we've been seeing that now for close to two years. Um, just this lack of visibility in terms of uh, forecasts and things like that is extremely difficult, right, for uh, for studio managers. I think the, the way we talk about it internally is that, you know, our customers, like studio managers, like they are in an underdog scenario. Like it's difficult for these guys to win, right? It's like, hey, if it's not the product arriving on time, then it's like the samples aren't right. Right. Or it's the marketing team coming and like throwing some urgent job at them. Right. There's always a burning bridge. So we've really tried to create um, process and a system that enables photo studio directors to basically consistently beat deadlines, mm-hmm. rain or shine. And, you know, by leveraging uh, reliable. You know photo editing uh, AI that that we have at pixels.com um but it's you know it's it's extremely difficult task for these guys and even if you say hey we're going to invest in an in-house team you know you you mentioned and we 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 work with a ton of brands like I said that do but they still have the same production issues you know if you have product backlogged or sitting on a boat in Long Beach and you got, you know, an in-house team of 50 people without anything to do, it's like, okay, you know, and then all of a sudden you get 10 times the amount of product, and then you gotta start finding freelancers or looking for a quick outsourcing solution. It, it you know, then okay, what are we gonna sacrifice? We're mm-hmm. we gonna sacrifice cost, are we gonna sacrifice quality? You know, right? It's like something, something has to give. Mm-hmm. So, and it's it's difficult, especially in fashion, right? Where fashion in itself is very cyclical and very unpredictable. I, I know that very well from working for with a fast fashion brand for mm-hmm. almost eight years. Um, very difficult, right? Just to, you know, to have a, a steady, smooth flow. Uh, and then you add on these, um, you know, supply chain uncertainty and it's it's definitely a
0: perfect storm for, for a lot of our customers, difficult times. And you mentioned one of the bigger reasons, but what are some of the other ones that why should a company choose an outsourced retouching team over an in-house one? I think
1: that the obvious ones are are just that, like the flexibility and the scale, right? So, hey, I don't need to go hire you know 50 people to get this done, or hey, I'm gonna we're gonna redo all of the images on our website, right? We mm-hmm. want to put everything on uh, whatever we have a huge backlog and we're gonna plow through something. You know, that sounds great at the surface level. Um, I think depending on the partner you choose, that can turn into either a success story or like th- a, a nightmare to be yep. very honest, right? So again, it's about, you know, what what is behind the scenes? Um, how is that team structured? And yeah, really, you know, making sure that you understand who's going to be doing that work. Um, but then, you know, flip side, in-house team is total control. Um, you know, you have professional retouchers that understand your aesthetic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be quick turn but it can also you can also have tremendous bottlenecks internally mm-hmm. right the team can only do so much and so you know in the us there's a huge culture of of having kind of freelance retouchers on call you know yep. in la and new york right to help out with overflow um which i think it's 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 an okay solution you know but is it that the ideal solution for a brand
0: also very costly think, sometimes yeah Yeah, exactly. But is there like an issue that occurs where there's like a a disbalance between quantity and quality when you have, when your business is scaling and essentially you're no longer able to provide as much resource for the quality to be, you know, there? I think it's, I think there'll be a lot of, um, everyone will probably have their own answers
1: for that. Like, especially if you ask uh, an in-house team with in-house retouchers. Um, I think it goes yes, like you know, hey, if you have if you're doing the same aesthetic day in day out for ten years, you know, you can have a, a well oiled machine, right? That that's yeah. just producing beautiful imagery. Um, the question comes, right? Like when you start scaling up and down, and you and you have to you know, to work with all the staffing issues. Um, but for us, you know, I think quality, you know, quality is really it's hey, is is it consistency? That's how we think about quality. Mm-hmm. You know, are we able to deliver a consistent result? And um, in my opinion, I don't, I don't believe that outsourcing equals um, lower quality. I mm-hmm. think that that is, um, I think, but that being said, you know, 95% of our customers have probably been burned by working with an outsourced vendor, right? Or have yeah. had some kind of horrible experience. So that's what we're working up against. But I mean, we, in our case, without talking too much about Pixels, but I mean, we power some of the largest luxury brands globally, and are doing everything on their website, right? So I, I think it really it really just depends um, about what you're looking for. And I think that a lot of, I actually think a hybrid approach, um, so, you know, I've talked about us leveraging technology and retouchers in mm-hmm. order to deliver a finished product, but even a hybrid approach when it comes to um how a brand thinks about staffing their own in-house retouchers mm-hmm. and leveraging a partner like Pixels because i think there's a tremendous amount of value as well to to have you know retouchers in house for quick turn jobs even for overseeing the entire process of of externalizing some portions of post production whether that's pdp or or editorial right having someone that knows 100% and you know, yes, we, you know, if you reject something in our platform, we'll, we'll deliver it back within a couple hours, right? But if you have an in-house retoucher that can, hey, it's t- two seconds, right, to do this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fix it and it's going to go online. Or I'm going to make a, a one tweak, subjective tweak. Let's get it done. That also gives a tremendous amount of flexibility to a, to a brand, right? So um, I think, you know, trying to find the optimal way to create your own hybrid production model, um, I think it's a very smart thing to do and we've seen a lot of leading brands these days that have, that have been leveraging that.
0: And this kind of comes back to, you know, being agile in terms of your approach and I can draw parallels with, for example, a client we have uh, in Cork School, right? We've been working on them for a really long time and, for example, all of their editorial or like advertising shots, they do themselves in their studio, so they do have an in-house studio that actually does all the job but all the uh, catalog, essentially, PDP in terms of like the... The things that go into their website, for example, they use for other retailers, resellers and everything they use, for example, square shots. So there's this kind of approach where they leverage what they're really good at, which is the very, very creative part, the very subjective yeah. part where you, your feedback loop, you have to be present there across the entire shoot. Right. And then they use something else to, you know, deliver something uh, more straightforward, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. And so, yeah, yeah, go ahead no 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 i just yeah we've we've seen you know that process can be sliced and
1: diced a lot of different ways like kind of depending on how each brand is is structured and how they think about
0: you know art and creative direction right so and so i'm also very curious about this i don't want to say it's a new trend but if you were to take a look at sort of brick and mortar companies such as amazon maybe walmart walmart there's a tendency that they are currently investing into reskilling their talent they're investing a lot of money into sort of uh, you know upskilling their talent actually yeah. I know that Volmart invested over 4 billion that Amazon invested over 700 million what is your approach to so your retouching te- team is a resource is one of the greatest probably resource that you have other than technology hmm. what is your approach towards sort of investing in that talent and upskilling it yeah um
1: great question and yeah it's something that's also kind of a, a foundational thing at, at Pixels. So um, very early on, and we talked about, you know, hey, there there is a lot of automation going on. You know, let's go back five years, and we had a lot of people doing mass like basic masking work, basic, hey, background removal, adding a shadow. Um, a lot of that work is being done by um, by bots, right? By by computers these days. And so what we actually created, I think be, be, besides the automation piece, um, we also work with a lot of high-end luxury brands that have very specific requirements, right, that would require that we don't have the skill set to actually take this on, right? Like we would need to go train a team of people to be able to handle certain retouching tasks. So that's always happening, right? Even just by us, like uh, the nature of our business is like, hey, we you know, we we do, you know, we're in a, a creative industry, so mm-hmm. we have to be able to adapt. Um, so one of the things that we did, we actually built out what's called Pixels Academy, Mm -hmm. Uh, about six or seven years ago. um, And that has really morphed into a pretty amazing, it's an internal tool. So it's not available outside of Pixels, but um, we have a staff of about 15 people running the Academy. And we have something like 1200 videos Mm -hmm. um, that is teaching anything and everything around content production, right? Around retouching, image editing, optimization, um, and now editorial work, things like that. And what we have done is we, we've actually built a gamified system. So, um, you know, you, we can bring in a junior retoucher and train them on some basic steps. And then um, basically like, you know, if we don't have work for them to do with that kind of, w- whatever they're capable of doing, we'll actually feed them, um, you know, videos and they'll, we'll start training them proactively it to, to up their skills. Right. And of course, they have incentives on that and, and, you know, they, they can earn more, the more value they're adding, um, uh, to the company and to our customers. So yeah. And that's been running now for, for many years. So that's a, that's a very integral part of how we think about production and actually uh-huh. how we think about upping the skills, right? Even like the move up, upstream towards more value added content. That's extremely important, uh, for our business. Uh-huh. Right. And I think also we used to see, if we go back in time three or four years, like maybe it would take us three months to onboard a new customer. Uh-huh. Um, you know, especially if there was custom requirements. I think now it, we just onboarded the one of the largest footwear brands globally, and we I think we have them up to producing around 5,000 images a day and we we had them at full ramp within two weeks. okay So like radical like a, you know, radical change. So going from like a three to six month onboarding to two weeks and really having teams available to produce at scale for these guys.
0: Well, so I'll, I'd like to also dig into that a little bit <laughs> deeper. So what has allowed for such radical change in terms of, uh, the amount of time that it took to onboard them specifically, yeah. just very curious. Sure, yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of changes, but I think one of the main
1: the main changes that we do it comes down to how we interact with our customers during like the pilot or the test stage. Uh-huh. So um, I did mention, you know, when we if you know someone approaches Pixels and said, "Hey, we we're looking for a retouching partner," um, we always will run a free pilot for them. So you know, we'll ask for for image assets in order to to set up a test um but what we do not do is we we do not use that A team like I mentioned before uh-huh. like we're not just going to send these off to our best retouchers and and then show something that we're not going to be able to do at scale so one of the the major changes that we've done is that we will invest the time to actually set up the specifications in our system so that saw system that I mentioned where we're breaking uh-huh. down the retouching specs that will get set up in our system and we will process the, whatever the batch is of 10 or whatever, you know, 10, 20, 100 images. Um, we'll process that as if we are doing it in production. And then internally, before we deliver those out, we will make modifications to the, to our system, to the specifications. And maybe we'll have to do, you know, one or two rounds internally before we feel like, Hey, we have the spec set up. And now we, you know, we want, we're able to show what the result is looking like to our customers. That change in itself has been massive for us so basically what that means is um, if a customer check you know they give us a green light on quality Mm -hmm. you know at that point we're probably looking at another week before we can go live with bulk production so it's it's almost instantaneous because you know everything is built into a system the actual retouching requirements, it's all in the system. And then, you know, yeah, we're even doing load balancing and things like that with the skills required from our retouchers in order to ramp up quickly. So yeah, it's been a—it's it, been on the, you know, I've spent a lot of my time on the commercial side of the business uh-huh. and that's been a game changer for us, right? It's it's such—it's so nice to be able to do that. And it, you'd also see um, a lot of our competitors, you know, in traditional outsourcing companies will take anywhere from, you know, they'll have to staff up a team, in India or Bangladesh or something uh-huh. like that, right? And it's just, hey, and then if those style requirements change, you gotta go through that multi multiple month training process again, uh-huh. right? It's very slow, kind of clunky. So yeah, it's it's a, it, it's been a, a very refreshing change that we've made on our end. But yeah, it's it, I think at the end of the day, it's our customers that are really getting a lot of value from that.
0: I feel like being process oriented currently is It's all, it feels like the way to go. That's something that has shown immense uh, sort of positive feedback that we got, for example, for, you know, introducing some of these changes to actually making it simpler making these pre-established guidelines and everything. And I I feel like it is already fair to say that e-commerce is no longer the secondary channel. It almost feels like it is, if not the, the primary one, just absolutely essential. How do you feel our content industry? Will sort of shift or evolve within the next five to ten years. Do you have any predictions to make? I don't like making predictions here, Philip.
1: <laughs> no, but I mean, I think, um, like you said, right? I think um, uh, e-commerce is going nowhere. I think uh, th- you know our the industry has only been accelerated in the in the last couple of years. That there's, you know, every, everybody knows that. I think um, what we're excited about is really just seeing brands. Um, really, I think trying to to push and innovate i think you know like we talked about before um allowing their creatives to have more autonomy really to try to create unique brand experiences i think that's what it all comes down to right Mm -hmm. um you know of course we're going back to brick and mortar i I think brick and mortar plays a huge role in in retail but you know for the customers that are now accustomed to let's say a pure online experience like they're looking for something unique they're you know they they want to be able to interact with the product whether that's you know, a, a 3D model or they need a spin or they want to have multiple angles, whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I don't see like the investment in content going anywhere but up. I think every time more content is everything. And you see that with just how predominant all of the social channels are and how brands are really just I mean, that that is the acquisition channel, right? For uh-huh for most of the DDC brands, it's like everything is content driven. So, um, but where will we be in 10 years? It's a very good question. I think uh, I think we'll still be knees deep in, in a
0: lot of content, <laughs> Philip. <laughs> well, this has been an incredible talk. I appreciate you and I appreciate your insights. I really had a good time. So thank you so much, Brian, for coming on. Uh, I'll we'll make sure to link everything that we talked about in our show notes. And thank you so much for coming again. Yeah, well, thank you. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks.